we're going to uh, continue this morning in our study in Luke's gospel as we uh, look at the overall theme of refocusing uh, on the life and ministry and work of Jesus. And uh, we're uh, about a little bit more than a third of the way through this gospel. And this morning, we're going to look at just uh, three verses, just the first three verses uh, in Luke chapter 8. Recently, and, I, and I'm not even sure what the setting was, uh, my son Nathan and I were, I think we were either out to dinner or we were uh, maybe grabbing a dessert or something someplace, but uh, I reached in my wallet and I, and I paid for, uh, I think it was a meal, I paid for the meal, uh, and my son said, you know, Dad, you don't need to do that anymore. You know, I'm, I'm grown and I've got a job and, I'm, and you know, and, and what a blessing that is to have one off the payroll. It's really uh, wonderful. We're, we're moving in a positive direction. Uh, but he said, you know, Dad, I, I can pay for myself. You know, and I said, son, I, I know you can, uh, but the way you can, you can uh, pay me for this is when you have children, you be generous to them. Uh, you make sure that you uh, go out of your way to care for your kids, and that will be uh, payment enough for me. Now, I, I got to thinking about that. I got to thinking about those comments and, and my desire to pass on uh, to my children that kind of attitude, and that made me think about God's attitude towards me. And it made me think about, and especially in light of this text, how gracious God has been in his provision for me. When I think about uh, the very basic provision, which is the most important of all and, and why we're doing the conference Christianity Explored, because God's provision is through the cross of Christ. And his provision is, is heaven for all of eternity. I wasn't created to be a temporal person. I wasn't created for just 70, 80, or 90 years. I was created for all of eternity. And God has provided salvation so that I can have that experience through his grace. I also think about my own family. I think about the provision of of Cindy and our relationship as husband and wife and our three children. And what a great blessing that is. Uh, I actually thought about you guys when I was thinking of God's provision and and how much I love Green Tree and my spiritual family and how it encourages me to grow in Christ and how it strengthens me in my faith. I think about our staff and and our elders and what a blessing they are to me day in and day out. And I think about my, my good looks and my great intellect. I think about my quick wit. And some of these things, why are y'all laughing? Um, think about, seriously, the, the, the former things uh, that I mentioned. And then just how God is blessed and how God has been so gracious in his provision. Now, that led me to the next question, which was this. How do I respond to that? How do you respond to a God who's so gracious and so merciful? What does that response look like? Well, I think it looks like the rest of my life, however long that might be. And and there are probably a lot of layers to it. But what I want to explore in this passage this morning is is at least one part of our response to God's grace. Because uh, my assumption is, and I think it's fairly accurate, that there are lots and lots of people in this room this morning that call themselves disciples of Jesus, that you would agree along with me, yes, I I have experienced God's blessing. I've experienced the provision of salvation. I've experienced the provision of family or friends or work or whatever the case may be. I know what it means to be in a grace-centered relationship with God. So then you too need to ask the question along with me, well, then how do we respond? And I think we get some insight into that in Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 8, just the first three verses. Hear the word of God. Speaking about Jesus, Luke writes, Soon afterwards, he went through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Jana, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others 
who provided for them out of their means. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, I ask this morning that as we study your word, that your spirit would lead this part of our worship service. Lord, we we desire that your spirit lead all of our worship services, but, but speaking for me in this particular moment, Lord, I know how important it is for us to hear from you and not from me. You have the words of eternal life, Peter said. To whom else shall we go? Lord Jesus, that is just true today as it was some 2,000 years ago. Whether we are here this morning as a skeptic or a disciple or somewhere in between, we need to hear the word of life. Those aren't man's words, those are yours. So Father, I confess my sin to you and ask that you would forgive me and that you would use me as your instrument this morning uh, as you teach us what you want us to know. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to keep it pretty simple this morning. Uh, Three verses, uh, three observations uh, about how we react to to this provision of God. The first one, uh, which is found in verse 1, is simply a reminder uh, before we get into our reaction, is that God's grace is a seeking grace. Look at verse 1. Luke, again, speaking about Jesus, says, Soon afterward, he went through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. God's grace is a seeking grace. Jesus is always on the move, and he's on the move for one particular reason. He's on the move because he wants to share the kingdom of God with as many people as he possibly can. Look at the the action verbs in this verse. Jesus went, Jesus proclaimed, and Jesus brought. Those are all kingdom activities in which Jesus is involved in seeking new members of, of his kingdom. He is out beating the bushes. He's out in the cities and the towns and the hillside. And and he's talking to people in formal settings like synagogues and in the temple and in informal settings when he's walking down the road and somebody cries out, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. There isn't a place where Jesus doesn't engage with people with a mentality of seeking out to establish his kingdom in their lives. We've said several times, and we'll continue to say it as long as this series runs, the theme verse of Luke is found in chapter 19, verse 10, where Jesus is talking uh, to Zacchaeus, and he says, the son of man, speaking of himself, came to seek and to save the lost. And we're right in the heart in chapter 8 of Jesus's seeking ministry. That being the case, that that the benchmark of Jesus's ministry is seeking the lost, is that one of the benchmarks of my life? Now, I know it's not the only one. There's much more to being a disciple than just sharing the gospel with others. There are all kinds of disciplines within the Christian life that need to be explored, that need to be learned, that, that in which all of them we need to grow. But this is certainly one of the keys. Can I look at my life and say, you know what? There's something about the seeking grace of God that's taken root in my heart and my soul and is causing me to have a passion to pass it on to others. Uh, This morning, one of the announcements was supposed to be an update on the church plant in Lafayette Square, and they've put together a little DVD. It's four or five minutes long in which they they talk about the church plant, and I've actually uh, stolen it for my purposes. I watched it this week and said, you know, it really really fits into my sermon, and I, I want you to watch this DVD. It's not very long, but what I want you to listen for is not so much the details about Lafayette Square, although those are good, but I just simply want you to listen for the seeking 
heart of Jesus. I think the thing that drew us to Lafayette Square uh, really was the community. We wanted to move down here in the fall, and Mike and Beth moved down here in November, I think. So basically it's been really amazing to look past, back over the past um, three years and see how God has orchestrated getting us to this point and being on the leadership team and planting this church in the city. Yeah, I really like this neighborhood because it did have a community feel, and it um, reminded me a lot of Kirkwood, in a way, um, just that everybody was really friendly and wanted to um, know your name, know your story, see where you came from. So we put our house on the market. And that just seemed like the most natural thing to do. This is where we meet our leadership team. Uh, about 25 of us cram into this little space, and uh, we do the Lord's work, at least what we think is the Lord's work, uh, for uh, the beginning of this church plant in Lafayette Square. So we put our house on the market within a couple of months it sold, which is kind of a crazy thing for happening right now. Uh, we feel like this uh, home is our home for numerous reasons, but one is, is just because we feel like we, we want to use our home to glorify the Lord in any way we can. And on the day we moved, we had probably, oh gosh, it was, it was over a dozen people from the church plant leadership team come and help us move. They took shifts helping us throughout the day. It was, it was amazing, and uh, my mom and my stepdad, who, are, who aren't Christians, were also helping us move, and um, they kept remarking, my mom especially, kept asking us, you know, who, who are these people that are helping you, and why are they so nice to you? And our realtor, who's um, Zach Wagner from Green Tree, was a part of this whole process too, so it was neat to, to see him working on the sender side, along with us on the goer mm -hmm. side and everyone getting to be a part of the whole experience. I'm on the community team. The community team so far has taken a very um, unaggressive approach to forming relationships. What I mean by that is praying for divine appointments, praying that people come into our lives in natural settings. And I also just completed orientation at the Stray Rescue um, Dog Shelter, Dog and Cat Shelter. So going to be starting uh, with a couple shifts a week just cleaning dog cages. I'm sorry, dog apartments is what they call them. <laughs> I have to be careful about that and walking the dogs in the park. Helen made some comment, made a comment about how it's kind of cool seeing you know the one body many parts played out in the church plant. Even though uh, there are a lot of uh, people that live in this area that, that do not believe in uh, Jesus, um, they're not uh, against the idea of having churches. Um, just churches in the building, it's it's just a group of people, a group of Christians who uh, are on mission, with the, on God's mission. The gospel is going to take root here in a new and powerful way. I, I hope you heard uh, and saw the seeking heart of Jesus there. You know, it, it's not complex, but it is profound. 
you know, that folks would say, well, it just seems like the natural thing to do to sell our house in this part of the city and move to that part of the city. Why? Because we want to have the seeking heart of Jesus, you know, cleaning dog apartments. Now that's a great term to know. I'll I'll try not to make that mistake too often. Um, But just, you know, being willing to be part of that community, Mike Workheiser, who you saw on the screen, one of our pastors, he's on their movie committee. Uh, They do movies in their park uh, every so often. And and he's on that. I think he's on that committee because they found out he had a big screen that was part of of Green Tree and that he can bring that to show the movies on. But uh, needless to say, it's just an attitude. Again, nothing really, uh, uh, you know, phenomenal. It's simply following this example. Soon afterwards, he went through the cities and villages proclaiming, and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Is that, is that part of my life? Do I have that seeking a grace that Jesus established? But now just a couple of, of, of questions about the reaction. Secondly, I want you to see the recipients of God's grace accompany the Savior. Look at verses 2 and following. It says that he, Jesus is traveling around speaking. The 12 are with him. And then it says, And some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Jana, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others. There, there's a sense here that there is a, there's kind of a little community that's forming uh, all around the centerpiece, that being the Lord Jesus. Now, these are not necessarily the, the best and the brightest and the, and the most influential people in Israel, although there certainly are a couple of folks there who at least uh, via marriage are connected to some folks of some influence. But you think about the 12, those are very ordinary guys. Those are not, not uh, uh, big-time influential folks. They're, they're simply ordinary people. Uh, some women who had been healed of a variety of, of different uh, infirmities and, and uh, demon possession. And you know what? If you, if you read that verse, they're really not doing very much, are they? Except that they're with Jesus. And they're being exposed to Jesus on a deep and a profound level. And they're learning and they're understanding a little bit better his character. And they're being exposed to his teaching and they're beginning to get a glimpse of what his priorities are and what his kingdom is all about. And they're simply making themselves available to be in the vicinity of Jesus with the hopes that that this new kingdom will rub off on them, that they will become part of this community. You don't see a whole lot of activity. What you see is simply a group of folks following along, kind of a ragtag group who want to be with Jesus which leads me to my own application. How much time have I spent with Jesus this week? I don't have to look at my whole life. I don't have to, to chart it out and, and map it out and, and have some kind of you know, designs and diagrams about my time. But just very simply put, did I have time in the Word this week? <laughs> did his character rub off on me? Did I spend time in prayer for God's people? for my own family, for myself, for you guys? Did I spend time exposing myself to the character and the quality of Jesus Christ so that it would make a difference in my life as I interact with others? There is a, there's a tremendous verse in Acts chapter 4. It's verse 13. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but you can look at it later on this afternoon if you'd like. But in Acts 4.13, a couple of the disciples have gotten in trouble with the religious leaders of their day. They've gotten in trouble with the Pharisees, uh, and they're in the temple, and they're being told not to speak about Jesus anymore. But in Acts chapter 4, it says that, that the, when the religious hotshots, when you know, kind of the, the big dogs looked at these men, they were astounded because they knew they weren't men who, who had, had received a whole lot of teaching. They weren't like seminary graduates. They weren't like professors or, or even on the level of pastors. 
but rather they were simple, ordinary folk. But it says this, that they took note that they had been with Jesus. Friends, if we're going to make an impact on this world, we need to accompany the Savior. We need to put ourselves in places where his character and his, uh, his priorities can impact and shape and mold our lives. Uh, back in January and February, we asked you to fill out this survey called Reveal. We didn't really think we were ever going to get the results, but they finally came in uh, this last week, all 69 pages of this report. So we're going to try and figure out a way to, to make it available to you guys. Uh, if you need some, some good reading, if you're having trouble falling asleep, this might be the, the antidote. But I was, I was flipping through the pages, just kind of giving it a cursory glance. And one of the things that, that kind of jumped off the page at me is that there's a, there's a group of us at Green Tree that say uh, we identify ourselves as being stalled in our faith, that we're not necessarily going backwards in it, but we're not necessarily progressing either. Now, I understand that. I've, I can point to numerous times in my life where that's exactly the word that I would have chosen to use about my faith journey with Jesus. I just feel like I'm stalled out. Now, I'm going to speak for myself, and I'm not, this is not to point fingers at anybody, but it's simply to perhaps offer a word of encouragement. I know that when I got to those times, one of the ingredients in that feeling stalled was that I was not spending time with Jesus. I was letting my schedule run my life. I was letting the things of this world, the priorities of this age, get in the way and interfere with just being with Jesus. So if you feel stalled, I'm not saying that this is the only answer and all of the answer, but let me encourage you, let me encourage all of us this week, get with Jesus. Get up 30 minutes early, stay up 30 minutes late, take a lunch break by yourself instead of being with your friends. But in some way, find time to get in the Word to know Jesus, read the gospel, spend time in prayer, and let his character speak its truth into your life. Because recipients of God's grace, if I really am a disciple, I'll want to accompany the Savior. But there's one more point that I think is, is worth considering for just a moment this morning, and it's this. Recipients of God's grace provide for the needs of Jesus. Look at the second part of verse 3 in chapter 8. It talks about all these women that were, that were also with him, many others, who provided for them out of their means. Recipients of God's grace provide for the need of Jesus. Now, if you're even halfway good at theology this morning, you just study the Bible a little bit, it, there may be a red flag going up in your mind right now. You go, wait a minute, Tom, Jesus is, is the Son of God. <laughs> He's all sufficient. You know, Tom, you prayed in your prayer this morning. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What could Jesus possibly need? Jesus doesn't need anything. He doesn't need our worship. He, uh, he loves hearing it. Says that God inhabits the praises of his people, but God doesn't need anything from me. He doesn't need my worship. What, what are you trying to say? Well, I agree with you from that perspective that Jesus is all sufficient. But if you look at this text carefully, what you see is the Father in heaven providing for the Son on earth, specifically by those who are benefactors of God's grace. In other words, when God's grace touches your life, one of the natural reactions is to say, how can I give back? In that day and age, it just happened to be that they could give specifically to the earthly ministry of Jesus, but the need of the kingdom of God continues today. There are people who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ who live right next door to us, with whom we work, with whom we interact with on a regular basis. And these folks in Jesus' day 
were benefactors of God's grace so that they became instruments of God's provision. And is that not the role of every disciple? Are we not to be used by God to provide for his people, for the community of believers, as well as provide the truth for those who might be seeking seeking and not know him? I was at uh, Einstein Bagel yesterday getting some lunch. I was working on my sermon in the morning and walked up the street and went into Einstein's, and I'm there all the time and know all the guys and gals that work in there. Standing in line, and I'm standing in line behind a young woman who has a tattoo on the back of her neck, and she has real, real short hair, so I can see the, I can see the tattoo on the back of her neck. And uh, I got a tattoo on my leg last year, a little cross that's about that big. I wouldn't recommend it. It hurts a lot when you get a tattoo. But anyway, I've now become an expert on tattoos. So, um, so I'm standing in line, and I'm looking at the, the back of this gal's neck, and she's got a tattoo that's two words. And the two words are something other. That's all it says, something other. There's no, it's not a quote. There's nobody's name by it, just something other. So we're standing in line. I'm thinking about this, and I'm wondering what it means. But I'm like, you know, I'm kind of the age now where if you ask a young person a question, you're like a creepy old man. So I, I got to be real careful not to, I don't want to freak her out. But we're standing there, and apparently she comes in here quite a bit too because she kind of knows the guys behind the counter, and I know the folks behind the counter. So we're all kind of talking. I'm not necessarily talking directly to her, but eventually I feel comfortable enough. And I look at her, I said, do you mind if I ask you a question? She said, you know, what? And I said, uh, I think she said, what creepy old man? But she said, you know, what? And I said, I'm just curious, something other. What does that mean, that tattoo on the back of your neck? And she goes, well, it means very simply, there's got to be something other in this world. There's got to be something more than what we see in the physical world. And I'm going, is this like a home run getting ready to be hit out of the park or what? I mean, it just, it's not getting easier than this. Let let me sit down for a minute. And so, uh, so I said to her as we were standing in line, I said, well, have you figured out what the something other is? And she said, you know, no, I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't figured that part out. Well, just as I'm about to say, would you like to know and and continue the conversation? Because I want to tell you what I think it is. Mark, the manager who I'm good with, he says, hey, Tom, and he asked me a question. So I kind of check out from her for a second. I go talk to him literally maybe 30 or 40 seconds. And I look back and she's gone. She's walked out the door. I said, Lord, I missed it. I can't believe I missed it. It was right there in front of me and I was just distracted for a second. But then I went home and I started praying about it and I started thinking about it and I realized I didn't miss it. I realized that I was the one who was supposed to begin the conversation, but there's actually one of you in this congregation that's supposed to finish it. And here's how I know that, okay? What's today? Mother's Day, thank you. I hope that's not the first time it's dawned on you that it's Mother's Day, okay? This gal works at Ginger Bay Spa in Kirkwood. I know some of you moms are sitting on a gift certificate this morning to Ginger Bay Spa in Kirkwood. So now what you're going to do is you're going to go into Ginger Bay Spa and you're going to kind of be looking at the back of people's necks. (laughs) And when you see that, you're going to walk up to her and say, God sent me to tell you what the something other was. She's going to freak out and come to Jesus right then and there. It's perfect in God's planning. Now, Not only on top of that, but after the first service, I'm standing over here shaking hands, chatting with people. A woman walks up to me and she says, she's a member of Green Tree, uh, great gal. She goes, I've been wondering whether or not I'm supposed to go to Christianity Explored, but you answered my question this morning. I said, really? How did I answer your question this morning? She goes, I work with so-and-so at the Ginger Bay Salon. Is God not perfect? (laughs) That girl doesn't have a chance. She might as well be in the kingdom already, right? Now, friends, 
The father established care for his son's earthly ministry through those people who were touched by his grace. And they subsequently became vehicles through which his provision flowed. Jesus and his grace has sought out and found many of us in this room. There are lots and lots of folks here, as I said earlier, who would call themselves disciples of Jesus. And we are now to be the vessels through which he seeks and finds and cares for others. The question isn't whether God's provided or not. The question is whether or not we see ourselves as part of that provision and are willing to step out in faith into the world that so desperately needs to hear the gospel. It won't always be perfect. It won't always be pretty. It won't always be be simple. We did that fun little Mother's Day video for those of you guys who were in here at the beginning of the service with the kids getting everything ready and dropping the eggs on the floor and the flour going everywhere and the orange juice being all over the counter. And then they're arguing all the way up the steps about who gets to give the tray to mom and who has to open the door and they're yelling at each other, and then you see the little baby sitting on the floor throwing a flower everywhere. Let me ask you a question. When that was all said and done, do you think that mom cared about the mess? Not a chance in the world, because it was a gift given by her children. And the gift given by your children can be messy. It can be broken. It doesn't have to work. As long as it demonstrates a child's love for their parents. Friends, we're not going to get evangelism right all the time. Everybody come to, evan- to Christianity Explorer tomorrow night because it'll help us get it right. But we're not going to get it right all the time. That's not the issue. The issue is do we as a congregation, do you and I as individuals have the heart of a child that looks at our father and says, I can't believe how amazing this love is that God has lavished upon me. Please give me a chance to share it with someone else. That's a calling of the kingdom of God. It's the calling. I'm, as I look at our name, are we really Green Tree Community Church? Are we really wanting to invite people into the community of God to share his care and his compassion and his love with folks to the extent that that becomes our identity? I want to end this morning with a little paragraph by a theologian of the 20th century named Elton Trueblood. Elton Trueblood was a Quaker uh, and he lived most of his life in Indiana in the, in the uh, Quaker community. But he spent some time uh, during his uh, career, he was a chaplain at Princeton, and then he was a chaplain a little bit later on at Harvard University. So he had the opportunity to inter- interact with a lot of brilliant people. And Ellen Trueblood is talking about how this, this character of Christ needs to be taken on by us and how that character of love and grace really will be the thing that makes a difference in people's lives. So I just want to share this with you as we close this morning. Here's what True Blood writes. He said, what we need is not intellectual theorizing or even preaching, but a demonstration. There is only one way of turning people's loyalty to Christ, and that is by loving others with the great love of God. We cannot revive faith by argument, but we might catch the imagination of puzzled men and women by an exhibition of a fellowship so intensely alive that every thoughtful person would be forced to respect it. If there should emerge in our day such a fellowship, wholly without artificiality and free from the dead hand of the past, it would be an exciting event of momentous importance. A society of loving souls set free from the self-seeking struggle for personal prestige and from all unreality would be something unilaterally priceless and powerful. A wise person would travel any distance to join it. Let's pray.